You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning. My name is Paul. I'm part of the teaching team here. <laughs> You're welcome, Andy. Uh, no one mis- mismanages their time more than me on a Sunday morning, I'll tell you that. I, especially on mornings that I have to teach. I walk in here around 1025 if I'm lucky, ready for a sound check. And uh, I share that with you just because I don't know. How, I never know what I'm going to say when I get up here. Uh, it's, it's kind of difficult being part of the teaching team at, at, in this community because, um, you know, we, we, cut, we, we, sh- we cut out time specifically um, for you guys to share. And then we have such great um, band leaders. They're always sharing. By the time we get up here, they've already shared like two sermonettes. And it's like, what? Do, we need to, do we need to further this on? Let's, let's wrap this up, man. We've heard from, we've already heard the word today. So it's a little challenging. It's a good thing, though. It's good. Um, uh, next week, actually, speaking of teaching, uh, next week is our family gathering, and so we don't have a, a, a regular teaching time. We do a little bit different on our on the first Sunday of the month. We invite everyone into the sanctuary, our tall ones and our small ones, and uh, that's really because we want to celebrate and worship as a family and, and take communion together. So if you've got small ones. Uh, don't worry, we, we invite the rambunctiousness and the jittery, the jitters and all of all that comes along with the small ones. So don't, don't, don't ever feel like you can't bring them in here. We welcome that. Um, Jesus was very serious when he said, don't hinder the children. And uh, we take him very seriously on that. So um, that's next week. Well, with that, let's pray first before we get, get into the word. Our Father... And yes, you are our Father, because we are a community. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here among the mission family as it is in heaven. In Redlands and in Linland Pyre as it is in heaven, Lord. Over all the earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into... Forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into the great trial, and deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I don't know about you guys, um, or I don't it's not about you guys, but I don't know if you've heard of this statistic recently. They, they survey, you know, Americans a lot or for various reasons. And one thing they always survey Americans about is their belief in God. And... Um, Belief in God recently, the, the, survey, the most recent survey said that it's an all-time low in America. Only a shocking 81% of people, you know, people are saying that's low, but that's still pretty high. But I guess compared to what it's been in the past, it's at an all-time low for, for our society, for America. 81%. In fact, uh, you've probably heard Ricardo, who's also part of our teaching team here, talk about the nuns. Not the religious N-U-Ns, but the N-O-N-E's, S, I can't spell, hopefully I got that right. The nuns, the, the people who say, I identify with none of the above on religious surveys, right? They're the fastest growing segments in America uh, among young adults uh, of people who, I, who don't identify with religion, right? 
And then also, uh, you're probably all familiar with, um, you know, your friends and family and maybe even what are considered celebrity Christians of recent years, you know, coming out and renouncing their faith or um, saying, you know, they're, they're deconstructing. That's very popular, right? That they're, they're struggling with the current expression of Christianity in America and they're stepping back or they're renouncing it all together. That's very popular. Um, even one, I've had some friends this week that, that came out on their social media and said, you know, uh, I'm taking a step back. I, I can't identify as a Christian anymore uh, just because of some of the things that are going on with the church, right? Um, you know, you, you're, you're all familiar. There's plenty of documentaries out there right now. There's plenty of news stories about a major, a major denomination in America that was covering up abuse and scandal, right? And, and that's not uncommon in the last few years, unfortunately. Um, and so we've given people lots of reasons to want to deconstruct and to renounce their faith because they haven't seen Jesus in the expressions of the church uh, across our land, right? And, and that's not to say that the church is all bad, right? We just don't hear about the th good things because they are overshadowed. For example, um, and, and, and just to, to mention something good, right? No one is doing a, an expose when you guys uh, take care of the Mission Elementary and make sure that they're clothed and fed those students at that school that need those resources. No one's doing an expose on that, right? That doesn't get attention. Or like David Plath's church. I don't know if you're familiar with David Plath. He's a, he's a mega church pastor. Uh, he, he tells this story, and I'm going to share it with you. And he says, One day I called up the Department of Human Resources in Shelby County, Alabama, where our church is located, and asked, How many families would you need in order to take care of all the foster and adoption needs that we have in our county? The woman I was talking to laughed. She said, and I said, no, 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 really. Uh, if a miracle were to take place, how many families would be sufficient to cover all the different needs you have? She replied, it would be a miracle if we had 150 or more families. When I shared this conversation, this is what he said, when I shared this conversation with our church, over 160 families signed up to help the foster care with foster care and adoption. We don't want even one child in our county to be without a loving home. It's not the way of the American dream. It doesn't add to our comfort, prosperity, or ease, but we are discovering the indescribable joy of sacrificial love for others, and along the way, we are learning more about the inexpressible wonder of God's sacrificial love for us. You probably have never even heard that story, but the church does do amazing things like that when they're focused on Jesus and when they're being discipled by him. But unfortunately, so many of our church expressions have led, you know, to this big movement uh, of deconstruction and, and people questioning and doubting and, and really struggling with where the church is going and what's doing and why it doesn't look more like Jesus, why we don't see more of those examples um, throughout the church universal. In fact, um, you may have heard of Christians such as uh, Joshua Harris or Kevin Max of DC Talk or Bart Ehrman or even John Piper's son, they, they've all deconstructed. If you don't familiar with those names, it's probably a good thing. They're not like anything particularly special, but um, they have, <laughs> I came out wrong, but <laughs> you know what I mean. They're not like you should know them if, if you're not like heavily involved in it, right? But uh, Joshua Harris is an interesting one to me. I don't know if you're familiar with his name, but he wrote a book um, called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, right? And uh, that was like, 
um, very representative of the purity culture in evangelical churches, right? And uh, when that book came out, I was 21, and we were passing that book out at the church I was at at the time like candy. Like we were putting in all the welcome bags. Like we were heavy on this purity culture uh, thing. Now, I was 21. Uh, the author of that book, Joshua Harris, was uh, an astounding 23. And uh, we were taking his advice on how to have, you know, relationships and marriage and life and all that. So that was really, really wise of us and, and the church to do. Um, yeah. You know, uh, in the Jewish culture, you can't even be a rabbi and lead people until you're 30. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Uh, Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. Uh, but here we are uh, uh, listening to a 23-year-old tell us how we should uh, manage our dating lives and our relationships and our marriage. And it, it backfired, right? That, that had huge consequences in the church. It did a lot of damage for a lot of people. And that's why we're seeing so much deconstruction and he and he has repented now of this in fact his marriage he he he, unfortunately he was he got divorced during the pandemic and then a few days after he announced his divorce he he made an announcement of deconstruction he said this and i think it's interesting that's why i share it he says i have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in jesus the popular phrase for this is deconstruction the biblical phrase is falling away by all measurements that i have for defining a uh, for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. And that was very similar to the statement my friend gave this week. He says, I, I can't identify with that word Christian and, and what that means and what that has rep- come to represent. Um, deconstruction, though, and I just want to talk a little bit about it before we get into the scripture here today. Um, it's just in the popular sense, and we're not talking about, you know, Jack Derrida's you know, original deconstruction philosophy. And we were talking about in the popular sense what, what it's mean to the church. It's basically the disassembling of your faith or certain beliefs of your faith and in, in about the church. And, and then sometimes it can lead to reconstructing that, that faith and rebuilding it into a better place. And sometimes it doesn't. Uh, no two people's deconstruction stories are exactly the same. Um, so, it, you know, the thing is, when we deconstruct, we ask good questions. Um, maybe you've been through deconstruction, or maybe you know someone who's been through that process, or maybe friends or family, right? Um, there's nothing inherently wrong about it, right? We don't, we're not here to shame people who, are, who have questions or doubts. In fact, the church always needs to be the safest place to express those doubts or concerns, right? This is a sanctuary for a reason. And, and in fact, this is nothing new in the church, right? Uh, the early church, if you think any of the problems that we're having with the church are, are new, they're not. I mean, just read the New Testament with a close eye, right? Uh, you know, Peter, the, the head of the church, is called out for discriminating against other Christians, against certain types of Christians, right? Uh, and it's on full display for all of all the world to see, right? There's no hiding it. And, and Paul, uh, in the book of Colossians, if you have a Bible or about that, you can turn to Colossians 1. We're going to be looking through there a little bit today. You know, he is trying to address, in many of his letters, and, and also in Colossians, he's addressing, you know, some of these things that come up among church communities that are causing uh, disunity or causing people to doubt or causing uh, trouble, right? And so there's no difference uh, in, in what we see. And in Colossians 1, 1, 
it says this. This is the letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We, by the way, I always joke about you know my relation to the apostle Paul. My brother's name is also Timothy. In case you didn't know that. So there you go. <laughs> my mother was very biblical on choosing her names uh, for her kids. Um, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ. So he's praising them. They're, they're not a church that's, you know, completely bad. They're, they're doing really good things, and, and Paul acknowledges that. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, for your love of all of God's people, who come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out over all the world, and it still is, right? We're, we're fruit of, of that, that truth. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, and it still is, amen, um, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is, in Christ, he is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. That's, that's what the church needs right now, right? Your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's key. I want you to mark that for later. Um, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thinking of the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ, and then he goes into this, this, this great homily here about who Christ is. I'm going to read it for you. So just bear with me. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, all God, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. There are so many, listen, I know we're going through this fast. There are, we could spend like weeks and weeks on just one of these verses. Like even this verse just now, I mean, we, me and Ricardo and some of us have been talking about the cosmic powers in some of the sermons. This is a great example of that, um, but we don't have time to spend on that. Sorry, I'm going to get sidetracked. Um, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body, you guys. Uh, he is the beginning supreme. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes who you were. This includes you who were once far away from God. 
you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has been reconciled, he has reconciled himself to you through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue. Now this is key, this is you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached over all the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Now, man, there are... Honestly, just reading that is enough, right? <laughs> There's so much good stuff, so much just plain and simple that if we just listened to it and obeyed it, uh, the world would be changed. But I think... There are some, some key things to, to kind of mull over here and, and also to look at throughout this, this letter. Um, and I think there are several reasons why we see and have been seen and will continue to see so many of our friends and family, or maybe ourselves have experienced it, right, deconstructing at this moment in history. Because one, I think we've created stagnant identities. And what do I mean by that? I mean, when we uh, have church communities and expressions of church communities, is what we tend to do is we take that church expression, that church community, and we make that the treasure. We make the vessel what we're after. So we've invited lots of people to come in and be Methodists and Baptists and, uh, you know, uh, Southern Baptists and American Baptists and all these different church identities, right? And so we've made, you know, what we've been invited to the our identity with that particular vessel, right? And so when that vessel fails or has a scandal or in their human power didn't rely on the Holy Spirit, you know, messes up, our identities come crashing down because our identity was wrapped up in that particular vessel, right? We've created stagnant identities with our vessels. That's the same way with the Pharisees, right? Um, you know, they... Uh, took the Torah, which was beautiful and good, and for, uh, for the goodness of, uh, of all humanity, right? But then they set up laws around the Torah, right? They took the letter of the Torah and made that the thing that they were supposed to uh, be valuing and treasuring. And when Jesus comes along and deconstructs their ideas of what the Torah was supposed to be, right? You see this in, in the great sermon. He says, you know, they're accusing him of nullifying the Torah. And he says, no, 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 I'm coming to show you the true heart of the Torah, right? I'm going to deconstruct your view of what you've built around the actual treasure. And we're going to take that apart piece by piece. You have heard what, that it was said, but here's how it really is. So Jesus is, is also himself not, you know, uh, uh, against deconstruction, right? He is the first one to do it, Right? Um, and so when we hear these statements from our friends or family or from people like Joshua Harris that I can't identify as Christian, it's because, th and this is not their fault, this is what they were inherited, this is what they were uh, invited into. They were invited into an identity that's associated with the vessel and not the treasure. Does that make any sense to you guys? Yeah. Okay. Right? And, and so, you know, a lot of times we, not, and, and we don't do this purposefully, Right? We don't consciously do this, but the structures that we built in the church and, and, and overall and, and all the different church expressions kind of made it this way 
whether it was consciously or subconsciously, right? And so we, uh, we build our communities on these vessels, right? And so the vessels, depending on where you are, it's about your certain belief and how you're baptized, whether it's sprinkled or dunked in water or your beliefs on women in the church or sexuality or whatever it may be, right? How you do certain things, how you take communion. All of these have been things over the years where we have elevated to a, to a place they shouldn't be at, right? And, and it's the same thing the Pharisees have done, right? We're, we're, we're no better than them, right? And so when we do that, we, we make it so that you can't really ask questions because asking questions kind of brings into doubt those particular things we've elevated that shouldn't have been there, right? And so when we do that, we have to be very uh, resistant to questions. We have to be very resistant to any type of conversation that would sound like you're deconstructing or you're questioning the vessel because the vessel is what we're trying to uphold, right? See, and a faith that's scared of questions is really no faith at all. Right? And so what we've done in the church is we've taken these vessel-type questions and, and issues, and we've hold on to them really tightly. Our church does this, and we hold on to that really tightly. And see, when impact comes, and it's coming, right? You're very rigid because you're holding on to something that you shouldn't be holding on to that tightly, and impact comes, it breaks. And impact is coming, right, for all of us. And, 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 and then what we're holding on to will determine how we're able to absorb that impact. See, if we're holding on to Jesus, we can absorb that impact. If that's the thing that we've all, you take away all the other things, and you're, it's you and Jesus, you and your community and Jesus, right? All that other stuff, that can fade away. That can be questioned. The thing that can't be questioned is your love of Jesus, right? Does that make any sense to you guys? I want, I want to look going on further in Colossians 2. It says, I want them to, to uh, chapter 2, um, starting at verse 2, it says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. He says, I want them to be knit together by strong ties of belief in how they baptize people. Whoops. No, no. I want them to be knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence in their church community. Whoops. Is that what that says? I want them to have complete confidence in the way they sing songs and worship on Sunday. Whoops. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is... Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this, that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. The other thing we do, and it's closely related to the first, is we reduce Jesus as a means to an end. Right? Instead of treasuring Jesus, we reduce him 
as a means to an end. The same way we focused on the letter of the law rather than the purpose of the law, we make Jesus uh, a catalyst to something else. Jesus dying on the cross gets me into heaven. Jesus uh, gets me to wealth. Jesus gets me to comfort. Whatever it is, we've had lots of idolatries in the church, lots of things where we've used Jesus as just a means to an end. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is what we want. He's the treasure, not anything he did, not anything he said. Those are important. But at the end of the day, he's the kingdom of God. He's salvation. He is what we're treasuring and honoring. See, there, there's a saying, you know, what you win people with is what you win people to. And lots of churches, expressions, uh, you know, they win people with certain things, right? We win people with a great children's program. So families who have children, and that's nothing wrong with that, right? But that's the thing that they're one to, right? Trampolines in the park, <laughs> the Father's Day barbecues, right? The, the smoke in the mirrors, or whatever it may be. And again, this is not all church expressions, right? But larger part, it, 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 we've, de- we've developed, the, the, we've transformed into this, this thing where we, we take something external and make that the thing that we're winning people with rather than winning people with Jesus, right? So the goal here at the mission is to always attract you to Jesus because, uh, you know, me, Jason, Brian, Ricardo, whoever's teaching, right? Whoever's sharing, we're not it. We're going to fail. And some of you probably don't even like some of us, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, man, that guy's teaching. I'm out of here, right? I hope not. Uh, and I don't think that's true of our church, right? But you guys really are creating something different. And thankfully, we have we've appointed a steward of this community, Jason, who values understanding that this community is not about him. It's about you and us and what we're doing together with God, right? That's the church. And so we're trying to attract you to Jesus at our best, right? But we don't always get there. We fail. And so if you attend a church community, if you're part of a church expression and, you're, and you value the things they do, over Jesus, when those things fail, it's hard. That's when you start to deconstruct. And again, it's not blanket statements. You know, there are various reasons, but I see that as a large reason why we're having so many issues in this regard. Because so many times we've been attracted to the wrong things rather than Jesus. When the, when the mirrors break and the smoke clears, what are you left with? So we have to understand that Jesus is the treasure, not something he did or said, or, but who he is and the life he imparts to us and offers us. All right. So where do we go from here? Right. Well, as the church, and I'm talking to you, you guys are the church. Remember, we've talked about this before. The church is you, me, and what we do together with God. Right. The church is not this building. It's what we do collectively together. Right, the church. So when I'm talking, when I'm saying the church, I mean you, not this institution or this expression of the building. Right, we have to be a safe place 
for your friends and family to process their doubts and concerns, right? We have to be a safe place. When we call this a sanctuary, that has to mean something. The church should always have been the safest place for people to come and doubt and wrestle with God. They should never have to leave the church to doubt and wrestle with God. Do you understand me? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're familiar with that verse from Romans? That means you don't have to condemn people. You know that? You don't have to stand in condemnation of anyone. You can let that go. You can, if you're holding on to that tightly, you can let that go. That's what that means. Yes, it means you're free of, you're no longer condemned by Christ, but it also means you don't have to be the person who condemns people. You're free. You no longer stand in condemnation of other people. You can sit with them, though. Right? We don't have to set people right. We just have to sit with them where they are. Right? What, what did Paul said? I want them to be encouraged and knit together by their strong ties of political party. No, by their strong ties of love. We get it wrong so many times. Let it never be true of us, right? Let us be knit together by our strong ties of love for each other. If you're facing doubts, talk to us. Let us walk with you. We don't have all the answers, and we don't claim to. But we can walk with you. We can listen with you. We can sit with you. You know, we, we, what we say, we're a family. Well, we're trying to be this new family that Jesus has installed, right? That are knit together by love. Who practice radical love towards each other and towards others. And finally, we need to ask ourselves, I think, this question. Are we ourselves disciples and students of Jesus or merely Christian by society's standards? I want to look at Colossians 2, 6. It says, and now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in truth and the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Man, there's so much there. Let your roots grow down into him, not into your vessel, not into the beliefs, right, surrounding certain things about the church, but into him. Let your lives be built on him, and then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. He goes on to say in Colossians 3, 16, says, Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through, Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, all of the problems facing the church, whatever they are, you know, idolatry, nationalism, racism, sexism, whatever it may be, scandal, abuse, 
um, all the problems facing the church and its communities and ex expressions over everywhere. They can be solved by full throttle discipleship and apprenticeship and obedience to Jesus. See, discipleship, we throw that word around a lot because we're committed to it here. And uh, maybe you're already, you know, know what it is, but we like to reiterate again and again and again because we're here to make disciples, right? And disciples is just a student, right? Jesus is the rabbi. He calls them, if you look through the gospels, they call him rabbi or teacher. That's what it means. That's what it translates to. And the Talmudin, his disciples, students, that's what it translates to, right? So discipleship is simply this, and you can use different words for it. We use, we use all types of expressions, following Jesus, apprenticeship to Jesus, studentship to Jesus, discipleship, right? Whatever you're comfortable. I like to use the, the term student. Right? I like to view myself as a student of Jesus. That's how I, I impart it to my kids, you know. I'm, not try, I'm trying to get them to understand that they're students, learning from him how to live, right? The thing is, where deconstruction, where this moment in a church is most people have never been invited to be disciples. They've never been invited into that type of life. Discipleship has been the optional second step after you're saved, but it's all together. And this is not to shame you or to say you're not saved or any of that stuff. Jesus, if you want Jesus, you will be with him forever. No, you never have to doubt that. All right? But we want Jesus now. We want to be his disciples and learning from him now, right? The only place that I know of in the scriptures that says what eternal life is is John 17, 3, and I didn't put it up there, but it's this. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, your son. Know you. Knowing is always interactive relationship. When you look at that word, that Greek word, what it means to know Jesus, that is a, a Jewish euphemism for intimate relationship, right? It's the same word when they talk about Mary did not know a man, right? This is eternal life, that you know Jesus, that you're in relationship with him, that you're learning from him, that you're his student, that you want and love him, if we, are re if we are to rebuild, right, it has to be on this foundation that we're disciples, right? Because, listen, if you view yourself as a disciple, as a student of Jesus, it's, questions are welcomed, right? Because you're learning. You're always in a process. Students are always in a process of learning, reevaluating, understanding. Those stagnant identities we create aren't there for questions. But disciples... They're there for the questions. They're there for the process. They're there for the journey with Jesus, right? It's a lot harder to deconstruct when you view yourself as a student because, again, students are in a constant state of learning and reevaluating and growing. Growing, the key, for, the key word, right? What, what it said in Colossians 2, there at the end, I'll go back to it. It says, um, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. That's what we're talking about. That's the view of discipleship. So discipleship starts with this, valuing and viewing Jesus correctly for who he is and being willing to learn from him. See, Jesus is the smartest, 
most intelligent person, most divine person to ever live, and being his disciple, being his student, is the greatest opportunity ever afforded human beings. He, we talked about Jesus, his name being sweet, right? That's true, right? That's a sweet name. Any attribute, any good thing that you can think of for any area of life or any person, he is first and foremost the model of that, right? We cannot trust him to be our teacher if we don't think he's smart or intelligent or has the best information for our lives. So it starts there, understanding that he has everything we need for life, right? When we talk about having life and life abundantly, it's that. It's about being his student, learning from him how to live and navigate life. He cannot be Lord if he's not smart. Would he be king if he were done or dumb or uninformed? No. So again, being a disciple is about valuing and viewing Jesus correctly as the treasure above everything else and understanding that being with him, being his disciple, is the greatest opportunity we've ever been afforded. Again, this is not to say that being a disciple means you have it all figured out. Being a disciple just means that we have oriented our lives and our postures towards him. And as a church community, we're all moving towards that center, towards Jesus as the well from which we draw from. Some of us can be further out on that journey. Some of us can be closer. The point is that we're all oriented towards him and moving towards him. And all the questions and doubts are welcomed on the way as we move towards him. And we don't have time today, and I'm going to invite the band to come back up as I I wrap this up. gone longer than I usually do. Um, We don't have the time to look at all the ways it looks like to be a disciple and what that means in your lives. But if you're going to be a disciple, and I'm... And if you've never thought about yourself in that way, then today, when I pray, I invite you to just decide to be a disciple. Decide that, you know, I'm going to be his student. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to take seriously what it means to learn from Jesus, to live, and to have abundant life, right? And like I said, we don't have the time to look at, but, but that first step of learning to be like him, that really has to be part of your journey. You have to decide. You have to start asking the question, what does it look like for me to be a disciple? What questions do I have? Where can I go for answers? Well, you can go to your grow group. You can go to any of us here in the church. You should go to the Bible, start reading the gospel, start looking at what Jesus was teaching the disciples with a close eye and start trying to meditate on those things and trying to incorporate those things into your life. It's not going to be easy, but it's a lot easier than the other way. If you think the sayings of Jesus are hard, you ought to listen to the other guy because that life really is hard. See what Andy said? Jesus' way is what? Easy. His burden is light. He's not giving us a heavy burden. When we become his disciples, he's taking away that burden, saying you no longer have to do it on your own. I'm with you every step of the way to teach you, 
See, people who are deconstructing, they're asking good questions. They're acting like disciples. So let's, let's start asking good questions ourselves. But not stopping there, but seeking those answers, right? Seek, knock, search what Jesus told us to do. Being a disciple means you love Jesus and you want to move forward with him. So I encourage you this week, um, go, go through Colossians. Man, it's four, four chapters. It's packed full of great stuff about being a disciple and about valuing and viewing Jesus correctly above all else. Spend each day. It only takes, uh, depending on how fast you read, maybe 10, 15 minutes to read all four chapters. Maybe take that as a, your first step, right, in, in, in your journey as a disciple if you haven't already uh, been there, right? Or take that as your next step as your journey as a disciple. If you don't want to read Colossians, do, read something else. But spend some time this week I, I, Colossians, when I was reading this the other day, man, I was like, man, we, there's so much here. I'm not doing it any service by putting so much of it in here. There's just so much wisdom. Um, but let us as a church community start moving and posturing towards Jesus and center as the center and foundation of our lives as we grow our roots into him. Let me pray for you guys. And, if, and as I pray, if you want to pray, um, about becoming, if you've never decided, if you've never uh, viewed yourself as a disciple, I invite you to pray that you would, you would start to do that, that you would take a step toward being his disciple. And again, this is not to shame you if you've never done that before, but many people have never been invited to be his disciples. They've only been invited to be a part of their particular church community or their particular way of using Jesus or whatever it is, right? But we want Jesus for who he is. We want his life. So, Father, we thank you today that you are an amazing person, that you are the most divine, most intelligent, most beautiful, the sweetest name. Lord, we want to be your disciples. We've never made that decision, Lord. We decide today do that, to be your disciples, to walk in step with you, to learn to become obedient people. We know it's not going to be easy. We know it's not going to happen right away, but our posture and our orientation, our direction are towards you. Help us to take the step towards you as your disciple, as your student, as your apprentice. Walk with us and teach us to be like you. Help us to value you above every other expression of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means, Lord, to follow you. Give us the wisdom. Help us to decide to be your disciples and to walk in it and to walk towards you and with you and to learn from you. Let us grow roots deep down, like, like Paul says. And let us never forget we're following you and that you are the treasure that we are seeking and help our friends and family orient themselves towards you and when they look at us they won't see scandal and toxic or abuse they'll see Jesus 
and they won't doubt they won't doubt the truth of Christ they'll look at those people that have abused it who have professed it and they'll know it was because they were doing that on their own strength but when they look to the cross they see the truth and the beauty of who you are and what you have that you would rise up in people who would express radical love who would empty out Lord, like the church in Alabama, they would empty out their county foster care homes. That's radical love. Let us practice that as your disciples and students as we move towards you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.